Well, how are your plans going this morning? Uh, maybe those plans, some people said good, that's awesome, that's exciting. I remember when I was about four years old, I made big plans for my life. I wanted to be a construction worker because I had this sweet crane that had a long rope that extended out really tall, and it had a wrecking ball on the end, and you could knock over everything you built. So I'm like, I'm going to be a crane operator and just knock stuff down. I'm not doing that right now, if you can tell. I'm not knocking stuff, well, I'm not knocking stuff down in a crane. I do make messes sometimes. But I thought that'd be really cool, right? Maybe you had plans when you were young, or just last year, or a couple years ago, and maybe they're working out, maybe they're not, maybe you didn't get a promotion you thought you would, uh, maybe uh, you encountered some problems, or trials, or something you thought wouldn't happen. And today we're going to see Joseph in that same situation. We continue our series on Rough Crowd, and we see Joseph where he didn't think he'd be. Going through problems that he didn't plan on necessarily going through. And you know, last week we hit a little, uh, a little detour in our story about Joseph, and we spent the week talking about Judah. And you know, you read that story the first time, you might think, well wait, what happened to Joseph? This is out of place. But when we look at it and see it in reality, we see an important truth last week that carries over this week about how God will work his sovereign will out in our lives despite our sin, despite, in fact, really just despite us, God will work his sovereign will out. Now, we know God doesn't want us to sin, though. Uh, look at uh, 1 Peter 1.16. The Bible says, Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Here in 1 Peter, uh, the Bible's quoting even from an Old Testament passage that says the same thing, but the Bible's telling us we should live holy because that's who God is. That's what he is. We should live more Christ-like, live a life that's more honoring to God. You know, in our country today, we, we see sin rampant all around us. Uh, we see the issues and problems that follow sin, and specifically in Genesis 38 last week and chapter 39 this week, we see specifically the problems that come from sexual sin. Many lives ruined, uh, many marriages destroyed, businesses hurt, lives wrecked because of the problems that come from sin. Something the Bible tells us to flee. We see all throughout the Bible God condemning sin, saying, hey, stay away from this, flee from this, and calling us to live life his way. But we even see last week God stopping and using someone who messed up, Judah, using a repentant Judah to continue out his sovereign will. The good news is our sin doesn't exclude us from being able to be used by God. It doesn't make us unusable. It can cause some damage that sometimes hurts relationships, hurts our own lives, and causes other issues that we have to work through. But God doesn't say, hey, you've messed up, you've sinned, I can't use you anymore. He does call us to flee from it, and sometimes we do the right thing, right? Sometimes we do everything life, we don't live life like Judah, and then things don't work out how we planned it. And that's what we're going to learn today, is God accomplishes his will, even when we don't understand how he's doing it. When I say, God, I, I don't understand how you're using this situation, but we know he's doing it and accomplishing his will. Think about where Joseph is here. We'll be in Genesis 39, it's page 42 in your Bibles, but Joseph 
quick recap, was sold into slavery by his brothers, who thought that that was a better alternative to killing him, because at least they could make money off of selling him. They were great people, rough crowd that Joseph faced, and now he's being sold to Potiphar in Egypt, and that's where we pick up Genesis chapter 39, verse 1. The Bible says, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man, and he was in the house of the master, the Egyptian. That phrase there, the Lord was with Joseph, we'll come back to that several times today, so mark that down. We'll see that a lot, but today we're going to walk through the story, Genesis 39, and we'll see through the life of Joseph how God works sovereignly through his will. First, we see God allowed Joseph to be successful to accomplish his will. Uh, one person said it this way, Joseph was sold to an officer of Pharaoh with whom he might get acquainted with public persons and public business and so be fitted for the preferment he was designed for. What God intends men for, he will be sure, some way or the other, to qualify them for. God was working through this bad situation. Uh, mean evil brothers that sold him because they were jealous for him. He's now being a slave, living in a country that's not his own. And God was using it to prepare Joseph for later on. If you haven't read the end of the story, I don't want to spoil it too much, but God has big plans for Joseph. And Joseph was basically bought for a position uh, that would help with his eventual position. It didn't look good at the time, and what Joseph's going to go through the rest of this chapter isn't always good, but it was preparing him for something great. And, you know, we may not understand what we're going through always. We might not understand and say, well, God, why'd you allow me to go through this? Why'd you allow this to happen? But perhaps he's allowing it so we can be better prepared for something in the future. The saying goes, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? But it's kind of true, right? We go through things that make us stronger even in our Christian life. Uh, God is using what seems like an injustice in Joseph's life to eventually, it's literally going to save the known world from starving to death. Have you ever had something in your life that doesn't seem fair? Maybe God's using it for a reason. When we look back at the passage, we see this happening because we see that phrase, the Lord was with Joseph. Uh, one person said, those that can separate us from our friends cannot deprive us from the gracious presence of our God. Joseph's brothers couldn't deprive him from God's presence in his life. Joseph was sold from his father's house. God was with him. Joseph was taken to Egypt. God was with him. He was bought by Potiphar. God was with him. We'll see God with him throughout the rest of this story. And it's God being with us that makes us successful in life. It's a great point for us is not to confuse the success God gives us um, with thinking we did it. It can be easy to fall into that trap and say, oh, well, I did this because... I'm so successful, I'm such a great person, I'm so skilled at this, when God caused us and allowed us to be successful. As we continue on, verses 3 through 6, we'll see the extent of God blessing Joseph here. Uh, now his master saw that the Lord was with him, and how the Lord caused 
all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in the sight and became his personal servant. And he made him overseer over his house, and all that he owned he put in his charge. It came about that from the time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on the account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge, and with him there he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Joseph here was given more responsibility uh, due to his success, uh, the success that God gave him. And in verse 3 now it says Potiphar, his boss, noticed the Lord in his life. He noticed God working in his life. Uh, it doesn't mean Potiphar serves God or has a relationship with the Lord, but this here is somebody who doesn't know the Lord that is seeing God work in Joseph's life. He's seeing the divine intervention of the Lord in Joseph's life. And the Lord caused everything to prosper. Everything Joseph did was going successfully, was going well because of God. Uh, do people notice the Lord in our lives? Do they notice the Lord blessing us, and do we point that back to Him or try to take the credit ourselves? If the world looked at us, our co-workers, people who don't go to church, our friends, our neighbors, would they say, wow, the Lord is using that person? Here in verse 4, Potiphar committed all he had to Joseph's care. Well, think about how God's using this situation already, right? Joseph's in slavery is now in Potiphar's house, but God's not just letting it go to waste through this bad situation. Joseph now is in charge of everything. He's learning the Egyptians' customs, their language. He's learning how to deal with business, how to handle everything of Potiphar's. And it's going to be great for Joseph later. And right now in this moment, verse 5, we see the Lord blessing Potiphar on Joseph's account because of him. Think about this. Joseph was put in charge of everything in the house. And now all of a sudden, Potiphar's starting to notice things are going well. He's noticing Joseph's saving him money. The, the books look better. The accounts are, are better financially. The employees are happier. Everything's going better because God's blessing Joseph. And that's where verse 6, you see the extent of, of Potiphar trusting Joseph here. You see that he has now given Joseph everything in the house except for one thing. His meals. Potiphar still eats his own meals. So he, he at least handles that much. Joseph's in charge of everything now, right? Finances, people, all that he's hiring and firing, all the new employees. He's handling what he needs to do. Potiphar just has to show up and eat every day. Things are going great for him. And that's uh, how we see God blessing Joseph and the people around him and letting God letting it working through this trial for Joseph. You know, God works his will out in our lives as well. My question is, are we allowing him to work his best in our lives? Uh, what I mean is, if God is blessing us and putting us in a position to do something for him, are we being like Joseph and living out integrity, working hard, letting others see that it's God blessing us? Or are we trying to maybe take credit ourselves? But we have a great opportunity when God puts us in these positions to work through them and let the world see us representing Christ through our lives. 
How about this question? Do we live with integrity when we face trials or temptation, maybe? Uh, I, I, I asked that question. It seems random because we're going to see Joseph face that. In the end of verse 6 that I mentioned, it does say Joseph is a good-looking guy. It seems kind of random and out of place, but when you read verse 7 here, it makes sense. So let's see Joseph's integrity when temptation came. Joseph didn't just live this out when things were going well in Potiphar's house. He lived it out even when trials came. And here's Joseph, everything going great in spite of the bad things, right? Again, in spite of being sold into slavery, now things are going well, he's prospering. His job's going great. His biggest problem in his life is now, like, the best thing that's happening to him. And that's when temptation strikes. Uh, look at verse 7, Genesis 39. It came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph, and she said, lie with me. So Potiphar's wife comes up and tries to tempt Joseph to sleep with him. And we're going to see a few points here in the middle of this story about temptation. The first one is temptation will find us. Now, it does seem to be, you look back at history and at all of uh, things well noted in this time period, that um, marriages were not uh, very well committed. Marriages were not super common in Egypt. There was a lot of Potiphar's wives around doing things like this, right? So this was something that was going to be faced in their culture. It was a sin that was running rampant in their culture. But here's the thing. Regardless of how common it might have been, God still called it a sin. And despite of everything starting to go well for Joseph, temptation still found him. And it will find us as well. It doesn't matter how good life is going, how good we're doing on our own, temptation will find us. And it's a big deal because sin is a big deal to God. Look at how Joseph responds here in verse 8. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great evil and sin against God? We see an important note about sin here, and that's our sin is ultimately against God. When we sin, we're ultimately sinning against God. Joseph responds to this temptation, and he tells her, nope, not going to happen, not doing it, because I'd be one, sinning against my master. He's put me in this great position, but I'd be ultimately sinning against my God. And you see, we looked at earlier, sin is a big deal to God. He tells us to live holy, to live righteously, because he is holy. We know God forgives us and he loves us, but he still wants us to live righteously, to flee from sin. Joseph brought up his position to Potiphar's wife and said, no, God's put me in a position. Uh, uh, your husband trusts me. I'm not going to do the one thing he hasn't given me. You, his wife, I'm not going to, uh, to have an affair with you and ruin this relationship with him and sin against my God. Do we look at our sin the way Joseph did yeah, we offend people when we sin, oftentimes we lie to somebody, but do we look at it as an offense as well against God? Because it is, and our sin offends a holy God. So Joseph says, no, this sin is ultimately against God, 
And now that's great, he endured temptation and fled from it, and that's the end of it, right? And he'll never be tempted again. Probably not. Let's see how it continues on here. Verse 10, and, he spoke, and she spoke to Joseph day after day. He did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. Temptation uh, will be persistent. Temptation will be persistent. It doesn't stop just because we fight it one time and say no. I wish that were the case, right? Nope, not going to do that. Good, you're done. Never be tempted again. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. Uh, why is that, though? Well, look at 1 Peter 5.8. The Bible says, be of a sober spirit, be on alert, because your adversary, or our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Our enemy, the devil, who's looking to, like a hungry, roaring lion, to devour us. We know he can't take our salvation. We know that's off the table. But he can look to try to ruin our testimony, to try and get us to slip up. And we know that he would have loved for Joseph to slip up here and ruin his testimony. But think about how brave this is. Oftentimes we don't think about our temptation. It'll be persistent. It'll be there. And we don't think about the big deal that that is. Today if I said there was a roaring, hungry lion in the parking lot, not sure exactly where, but it's somewhere around the church, and it's just waiting for somebody. Would we all walk out to our cars like normal, just kind of like, yeah, hey, where are we going for lunch now? No, probably not, right? We would all react, leaving the building a little differently. First off, we'd probably call somebody to take care of the lion, or we'd all get out there at one time and, and see what we could do, right? We would try to, 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 to take that as a big deal, because none of us want to be the lion's lunch after church today. So we'd act a little differently. That'd be a big deal. Well, now think about our enemy, Satan, who wants to devour us like a lion, but spiritually. It's a big deal, right? Temptation is a big deal, and it'll be persistent. And not only that, look at verse 11. Now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the household were there inside. Not only is temptation persistent, but our temptation will also catch us at a bad time. Temptation always seems to catch us at a bad time, right? Maybe you're, when you're weak, you're alone, you're having a bad day, whatever it might be, just like a lion hunting in the wild, they look for the sick, the weak, the old, the ones that got strayed away from the pack. They look for the easy ones to attack. Satan looks for the right time to strike. Now maybe it means we need to prevent being in situations that are bad situations, right? Joseph there doesn't seem that he tried to put himself in a bad situation, but one day he found himself alone in a not good situation. And let's see what happened next. She caught him by the garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. Joseph fled from temptation. He fled from sin. And that's important there because we might get caught in a bad situation. We might get caught tempted. That temptation is going to find us. It's going to be persistent. It might catch us at a time we weren't expecting it. So how are we going to react? Joseph here ran for his life. He ran to get away from it. Potiphar's wife grabbed him by the coat. He ran out of his coat. 
didn't think about grabbing shoes, didn't think about grabbing his car keys. He just got out of there, right? He ran away from temptation. We need to run from temptation in the same way. Often, our idea is, well, how, our question is, how close can I get without sinning, right? That's our first thought. And we think, how close can I get to the line before it's bad? I might ask the question this morning, how close can I get to the edge of the stage before I fall off? Keep going. Keep going. No, I don't do that because I will fall off the stage and hurt myself and you all laugh at me and it won't be good. So I try to stand back away from the edge of the stage, right? Now, that's a silly illustration, but we do the same thing with sin. We do the same thing with temptation. We say, well, how close can I get before it's dangerous? Rather, our question should be, how far away do I need to stay before I'm in danger? Think about driving. There's guardrails on the highway. There's center blocks, right, so you don't drive off the road, so you don't drive into oncoming traffic because those are dangerous situations. We have things to protect us there. Do we do that in our spiritual life? Do we set up something to say, hey, I'm struggling with this. I know I could be tempted here, so I need to take a step back away from it. And better yet, when temptation comes, am I prepared to make it easy to run from it? Let's continue on, see how the story goes. Joseph's running. He's getting away at this point. He did the right thing, so that means life is going to work out great for him the rest of the way, right? Probably not. Let's see, verse 13, when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled outside, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought in a Hebrew to us to make sport of us. And he came in to me to lie with me, and I screamed. When he heard that, I raised my voice and screamed. He left his garment beside me, and I fled and went outside. So she left his garment beside her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with these words, The Hebrew slave whom you brought to us came into me to make sport of me. And, I, and as I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. So now we see Joseph's fled, he's gotten away from sin, and she calls the men in and falsely accuses Joseph of trying to sleep with her. That's not how I remember that first verse going. But Joseph had more integrity by running than Potiphar's wife had in this whole situation. She needs to make herself look good and pin this on somebody else now. So how does she do that? Well, she tries to destroy Joseph's reputation. She tries to ruin his life by making a false accusation. And there's a great practical example for us here that false accusations can hurt people, can destroy their life. Uh, and as Christians, we should make them, right? We're told we shouldn't lie. We're told to love one another. And this is none of that. Potiphar's wife is being selfish, prideful, thinking of herself as more important in the situation. And if we do something wrong, we're called to handle it, not to make it someone else's problem, what she's trying to do here. So now Joseph's in trouble. Potiphar's heard what's happened, and look at his response in verse 19. Now when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spoke to him, saying, This is what your slave did to me. His anger burned. So Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the jail. Joseph was falsely accused and ultimately thrown in prison here for something he didn't do. Potiphar listens to his wife 
doesn't hear Joseph's side of the story at all, right? It's interesting, too, to note, to think about this. Potiphar is a high-ranking Egyptian official. If he wanted to, he probably could have just had Joseph put to death for this. Probably could have had him killed. But it's almost like God had some divine intervention here, wanted to keep Joseph safe, and had a plan for him later on in the book of Genesis. But think about Joseph again. As if he hasn't faced enough rough crowds just with his family, you know, wanting to sell him and wanting to kill him. Now he runs into Potiphar's wife and all of these people after he was sold into slavery, and now he's in jail for something he didn't do. That seems fair, right? Not really. It seems like a lot of injustice in the situation to me. Joseph struggling, did the right thing, and he's in jail. It seems unfair. I can imagine Joseph is wondering, God, why are you putting me through this? It's a question maybe we've asked ourselves, right? God, why am I going through this situation? God, why is this happening to me? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? Joseph was saying, God, I'm following you. I did the right thing. But we know that God was preparing him for something special. He's getting prepared literally to save the known world at the time from starvation. He's getting prepared to literally be second in command over what's probably the strongest country in the world at that time. So how about you and I? What's God preparing us for? What's he doing, getting ready for us to do? Think about the verse in the New Testament, Romans 8, 28. Uh, the Bible tells us God works all things out for good to them that love God, to them who are are called according to his purpose, we know that God has a plan for our lives. If we love him, we place our faith and trust in him and we're serving him, he wants to work out every situation for good in our lives. Now, maybe not good in the sense of how we think of it, right? Maybe not the good that I want, but he wants to work it out according to his will for his honor and glory. You know, sometimes in life, we get a moment to look back at our life and say, oh, this makes more sense now. In the moment, it made no sense. But this situation makes more sense now. I think Joseph will do that later on. I think he'll look back and go, Oh, God, you were working through this whole situation. You let all this happen. And for my wife and I, you know, we had a story, I think I've shared this with some people, but uh, last summer, before we moved up here, um, 2021, September, so a full year before we moved back to Ohio here, we were living in Florida, and we just bought a house, been living there for about a year. We thought, uh, all right, this is God's will. This is where he wants us. He's provided this. We were serving in the church, working our jobs. We were doing what he wanted. Everything was going well. And then our house flooded to the tune of over $20,000 in damage. All right, God, why this? And then we had to have you know, all the drying stuff in there and the repairs started. They had a dehumidifier in there that makes the house like 80 degrees in Florida during September. Wasn't fun. They had these loud dryers in there for like three days. Then the walls were cut open. The kitchen was unusable. God, why this? Well, I can tell you for a fact if that didn't happen then, our plan was to stay in Florida. Our plan was we'd still probably be there right now. But God said, I'm going to use this situation to start making you think a little bit about what's next. And because of that, his plan moved us to Ohio, back here. So looking back now, I can go, oh, God, that makes sense. I think Joseph gets to do that here soon as well. He gets to look back and go, 
I see this happening if he does it in the moment. Look at what happens even in this bad situation, the end of the passage, verse 21 through 23. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all of the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. Joseph was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made prosper. The chief jailer didn't supervise anything because Joseph had it under control, right? Just because it was all Joseph. Look at the end of the verse again. The Lord was with him. Again, we see God allowed Joseph to succeed. Every bad thing that happens to Joseph, God allows him to succeed. The Lord was with him. You see that phrase over and over and over again in this passage. We know that God is with us as well. Look at the New Testament, the Old Testament. You see that multiple times that no matter what we're going through, God is with us. God allowed Joseph to be to, to prosper. Now he's in charge of the whole prisoner, the prison, the prisoner, in charge of the other prisoners, handling everything. The chief jailer's not even worried about what's going on because Joseph's got it, and God's, God's blessing Joseph. So he didn't micromanage or oversee anything Joseph was doing because God was prospering it. These people recognize that, hey, this Joseph guy is great to have around because God's taking care of everything. Was it because Joseph was a special, just extraordinary person, worthy of God's extra special graces here? No, it was because God's sovereign will cannot be hindered by anything we do. Joseph wasn't an extra special person, worthy of extra special provision. Joseph was a kid that was sold into slavery by his brothers, his jealous brothers. But God's sovereign will was at work in Joseph's life. The good news is for us, God's sovereign will cannot be stopped by anyone. Not by me, not by you, uh, not by Potiphar, his wife, or Pharaoh, not by your mean co-worker, or anyone on this earth. God will accomplish his sovereign will no matter what. Know that God can and will make situations that maybe he lets us go through that don't seem great at the time to us, but he'll work it out best for his will. Ultimately, we see through this whole passage that God works in our lives to accomplish his sovereign will, often in ways we don't understand. Throughout this whole passage, that's what we see, God's sovereign will at work. At this time, the man's going to come forward. We'll look at what we can take away outside of that. So how do we apply that to our lives? God's sovereign will is at work. Well, first off, our first takeaway, remember that ultimately, our success is ultimately up to God. Sure, maybe there's a chance we can get good at something, right? If I shoot a thousand free throws a day, I can be good at shooting a basketball. But unless God lets us be successful in his will, our ultimate success is up to him. Trust in his plan and allow him to work in our lives. Number two, to remember from this passage, run from temptation. Let's face it, no matter what's going on in our lives, temptation will come. 
Temptation, we're all going to face it. The question is going to be, how will you respond to it? Don't even give sin a chance in our life. Run from temptation before it has a chance. And finally, trust in God and his plan. I know this one sounds generic, right? But look at Joseph's life. Think about what he was thinking in jail. Think about what he was when he got sold. Think about what we think about when something not according to our plan happens in life. Trust that God has a plan in life, and maybe we're not where I wanted to be, but trust that God has us where he wants us to be. Now, what happens next to Joseph? Does he get out of prison? I've alluded to some of it already, but come back next week to find out. Don't leave him sitting here in prison. Something amazing happens. We're going to continue to see God work through his life, and we'll see how he gets free. At this time, let's go ahead and stand, and we'll pray. We're going to do something slightly different, but we'll pray, and then as the band plays, you can be dismissed as they play this next song on the way out. Let's go ahead and pray.